So yeah, so there is video out there in this world of Chad and the young 10th grade Creighton doing this interpretive dance to this like terrible 80s song. And it is awesome and it's glorious. Creighton has a super long ponytail and oh, big. Oh yeah, and my cargo shirt goes down to my knees. Yes. It's a it's a We're look. live, right? We're yeah, live. We are okay, live. Okay, everyone's hearing this, this about me right now. <laughs> we do need an updated version of this. Anyway, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. <laughs> Uh, my name is Zach Adams. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, come check us out one Sunday morning. Again, our service is at 1030. Uh, if you're not local but looking for a church, Bible teaching church that you can join and watch and participate with online, uh, calvary316.live is our YouTube channel. We also stream facebook.com slash calvary316. We'd love for you to join us uh, digitally again the service is at 10 30 you can learn all about the church by going to calvary316.com i am joined as always in studio by the man that needs no introduction uh, our resident italian american uh mr creighton vaughn that's me i'm the italian american you are Hello, the italian everybody. you are three fifths three fifths italian that's not how that math works out but whatever <laughs> i'm like a quarter I think I'm almost exactly a quarter, which is less than three. Uh, don't sell yourself short. Hey, <laughs> we got. Hey, we got. Yeah. I really need to rewatch The Sopranos and just write down just, the, ex- the expletives that they use. And yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, Jessica and I, when we watched The Sopranos, we had a we we literally had a plate of spaghetti every time. You was, told me that. That's spaghetti. insane. We, it was like our Friday night routine. Anyway, explain to the audience no how the show works here. No how, gabagoo. Gabagoo. No gabagoo. Explain how, explain how the show works. So uh, basically uh, what normally happens is I will bring a topic and I will offer that topic to the room. Zach will make a Bible study of that topic or we'll just discuss it depending on what the topic is. That's not what's happening tonight. What is possible tonight, like normal is that if you have a question, comment, or concern about what we are talking about, you can put that into the comment section on Facebook or YouTube, um, and I am monitoring those on the computer in front of me. Um, So hopefully we can get as close to real time as possible. Sometimes it's hard to butt in when Zach is talking to tell him about comments. Yeah, 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 Um, sure. But yeah, that's basically how it works. There's also a phone number that you can text that I can never remember off the top of my head. Yeah, it's 67... So say it slow because I have to type it out for the comments. Okay, 678-883-3316. Again, 678-883-3316. You get the 316 at the end of that? That's intentional. Why? Because of Calvary 316, Creighton. You can also uh, uh, drop us an email at PopeCreighton at gmail.com. Again, PopeCreighton at gmail.com. And the video that you're watching, if you're joining us live, um, is a uh, will be released tomorrow, the audio anyway, as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get uh, your podcasting. Creighton kind of teased this. Today's episode will be a little bit different. Um, early years of, of the Outlaw Radio Show, we did a lot of interviews. We haven't done that in a while. We're going to be having an interview. Very excited about that. Before I get to that, before I introduce our guest, um, also want to say hello to Spice Daddy. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. You know, my, my, sheet, my, my seat keeps getting shifted to the left. Yeah, I have a theory about that. We're moving you further and further away. We're right. ca- we're and kind of putting you in the Nikki Haley seat. Uh, eventually, just further no, to no, the no. left. See, that's not my theory. My theory is eventually I'm going to be in Creighton's seat, and you're just trying to get rid of Creighton. You know, um, I I have thought that it would be very funny when Creighton decides to go on vacation, uh, <laughs> that um, that you would take over the production chair, Can I and we like, and we just like. 
blur out your face, and I call you Creighton the whole time. Can I wear the Pope hat? You could wear the Pope hat. That could I want to be very clear. I'm the only one to wear the Pope hat, which is why I have it. That is true. We did, We've already I did talked gift about you, this. I did gift you the Pope hat. Oh, my gosh. I made a joke. Do you wear it just randomly at night? No, I made a joke. Like where you brush your teeth, you have the Pope hat on? I made a joke like <laughs> six months ago that I had forgotten about, but I made it on air. And my mom brought it up while I was down in Florida for Christmas. Okay. Because she did not like the joke. Oh, I did not hear this. Yes. So we were talking about it at some point. And I was like, oh, I'm you saying You do know your my... mom's probably watching this. Yeah, so yeah. You've, No, you've... I still think the joke is funny. Okay, great. Okay. Um, we were talking about something. And I was like, yeah, I'm saving it for my wedding night. You know. She goes in the bathroom the and they'll put on something. Hat. And okay. then she comes back out and I'm in nothing but the Pope hat. Um, which is still the plan. But yeah, that's the that's what their Pope hat is And that's is where you, you'll look across the room and you're like... What's up, Shulamite? Yes. <laughs> yes, that'll be your opening line. We had an elder, we had, so I'm teaching through Son of Solomon, and uh, we had an elders meeting on Sunday, and, and uh, Chad, I forget what the, somebody made a joke, and it was perfect for like the, that's what she said line, but yes. Chad delivered the, that's what the Shulamite said line, <laughs> which was perfect, so that's yeah. going to be the new joke. Uh, so Spice Daddy, you doing all right? You good? Yeah. Rocking and rolling. Other than sitting in another different seat. Okay, okay. You know, we're just going to move you around hey, a lot I, now. I, okay, we need to get you a bigger chair, yeah. like more of a throne over there. Yes. And then, then I can get a Roman emperor crown. For the Roman Justinian? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. We're also, we also have two guests, two of our brothers that are in studio with us. Uh, we've got, so Isaac is with us, uh, a football mom. Is with us, but he is in in a, a guest chair tonight. You want to say anything to the audience that you're here? Football mom is in the house. Is in the house. Thankful to be here. Definitely brought some good stuff. I brought some barbecue <laughs> rub that no one wants. But uh, if uh, anyone, if like to, that's terrible. Like us to send that to you. Uh, Listen, yes. If anyone <laughs> listening is looking for some opened but not really used that I know of barbecue spice rub, just let me know. Uh, yes, and you should sign it. A signed copy of some barbecue spice rub. But for the record, you'll also you'll need to to send five dollars for the shipping. Because uh, we're not going to pay for I that. I can't cover that. Yeah, we're not. Paying. I'll give you a piece of chocolate with it, though. A piece of, in the ma- in the mail with it. So we also have a, a good a good friend, a dear brother of ours, John Schaefer, is in the house, which is great. And so we kind of had to kind of bring in an, another old chap um, for some interesting questions, I think. Um, but getting to the hot topic here. Before uh, you get to the hot topic, oh, what do we got going? Uh, I do have a comment. It oh. is from longtime friend of the show, Miss Ann. I want to say hi, Miss Ann. Ann. Hey, Miss Ann. Hello. Yes, welcome, Miss Ann. And that's it. That's what. That's what you had. Yep. You interrupted all that for that. I'm trying to get better at it. You told me to be more aggressive last week. So yeah, that are. that is true. But that was with your dating life, not with your chair here at the hey, Outlaw small Radio steps. Show. Small steps. Yeah. Small we steps. Don't, we need you aggressive in your dating life, not here, uh, per se. So so. Um, I've been blessed over the last, oh man, how many years? Probably six or seven years now, um, uh, to to have gotten to know a dear brother. Uh, he and his wife have become really good friends, close friends of our family. Uh, Ed uh, will periodically play drums uh, at our church. Uh, they, uh, he and his wife, gifted us our dog uh, that is shedding hair all over the house, and Jessica <laughs> wants to kill me for. I appreciate that, brother. Um, <laughs> 
but just a really good friend. And we've had some wonderful conversations, uh, has a very unique insight, has just this plethora of experience that is just really interesting. Uh, and I've, I've had the joy of hearing a lot of these stories. Thought it'd be fun to have him on the show. Uh, one of my, my favorite memories with Ed is that he, uh, I have, you know, I've, I'm a diehard Atlanta Braves fan, been an Atlanta Braves fan forever. Ed happens to be an Angels fan, totally unrelated, um, uh, but is a dear baseball fan. So we had that connection. And uh, But I've never been to a playoff game. In all the years that I've lived in, in Georgia, I've never been to a, a Braves playoff game. And the Braves were playing the Dodgers a couple years ago. And Ed uh, got tickets. He scored some tickets. And I mean, like, Club 360 seats right behind home plate. They were awesome. And uh, and he called me and was like, you want to go to the ball game? And I was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. And it was just it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. Just become a, a dear brother. And so I want to welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, uh, Mr. Ed McTaggart. How you doing, my friend? Good, thank you. So let's let's start a little bit um, about uh, just who you are um, and kind of a little bit of your claim to fame, and then I'm going to set some some context. Okay. Um, nobody special. I was um, young, um, not not churched, you know. And uh, this thing was happening. I was I was ni- I graduated high school from 19, 1969. and this thing was happening in Orange County, where I was from. Uh, so you Southern grew up California, in Southern California, Southern California, and uh, that what I'd heard about, and uh, we went down to check it out a couple of times. Uh, they were at that point uh, the church. Uh, it was a small church, Chuck Smith's Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. It was a small church. And they were they bought some property from the Seegerstroms, who owned all the property around there, including all of South Coast Plaza. If you've ever been out there, they bought some property, and they and they were you know starting to the church was starting to grow really quickly because of this Jesus movement thing, which I knew nothing. You know, I didn't know Jesus is. I didn't know. I, it was really weird, you know. But it was explained in such a simple way; it just made sense to me. Because I wasn't like, like I said, I wasn't a church guy, but it was explained very simply to me, and uh, and in my mind, I just well, that really makes sense. You know, I don't have a drug problem or anything, but boy, that really makes sense. So you got saved at Calvary Chapel. Yes. With with Pastor Chuck. But it wasn't. Pastor or was it Chuck. Lonnie? Was Lonnie it, preaching? Lonnie uh, at that time was not around very much. I never okay. I never actually met him, but it was I believe it was uh Mike McIntosh. Oh, okay. And and also at the Saturday night concerts, but before I really accepted the Lord, I went to a couple of these tent concerts and they'd have so, them every Saturday night. So let me set let me set just a a, a bit of context mm-hmm. historically um for what was going on that you found yourself kind of at the inception of yeah. Um, just for the audience in, in case you're not, you, you're not aware. So there was um, a movie that just came out. I said, just came out, came out last year it's called Jesus revolution. Um, it was um, about w- what we call historically is the Jesus movement. Now, Greg Laurie wrote a book and I'll plug the book. The book is Jesus revolution. Yeah. And it was his, his account of the early days of Calvary chapel and 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 a, a unique revival uh, that took place not just in Southern California, but a revival that that took place um, across America. It was as close to an awakening that we have had since Whitfield or uh, the Wesleys. Um, a unique 
thing that, that God did at the end of the, the, the 60s, the early part of the 70s, yeah. where um, thousands and thousands and thousands of hippies were coming to know the Lord. And not just hippies, but like you had people across the country, my dad being one of them, you know, who was not a hippie, but was this, you know, this Southern, um, you know, more Leonard Skinner style, uh, <laughs> yeah. good boys, Alabama. Um, but, but like the, it, there was this way, like the Holy Spirit moved mm-hmm. and we call it the Jesus movement. There have been a lot of, uh, again, uh, there's a movie about it. There's a lot of articles that have been written about it. Uh, famously times, uh, times magazine, uh, right. did a full, a full write up about it. Um, with the cover shot of, of people getting baptized in the cove, yeah. uh, there in Southern California. Fire and so, <clears throat> and so all this was going on, um, one of the central, again, the Jesus movement was, wasn't just about Calvary Chapel, but Calvary Chapel found itself at, in kind of the heartbeat of, of what was going on. And, and you had Pastor Chuck. So Pastor Chuck Smith um, had been in the Foursquare denomination for years and years and years, mm-hmm. um, had really had left the ministry. He was roofing, I think, at the time. <laughs> uh, he got invited. Um, there was a little, little non-denominational church called Calvary Chapel. Uh, they asked him to come in and be their pastor. Um, and so he did, but he was like, you know, I'm so burnt out on religion, so burnt out on mm. traditionalism. Yeah. I'm just going to teach the Bible. I just want to teach the Bible. As Chuck would say, I want to simply teach God's word simply. And, uh, and so he did. And then there was this, this whole thing that ha- kind of happened. And again, the movie deals with this where Lonnie Frisbee came in and they started welcoming hippies that were hungry, looking for something. And then God, God did this, this thing yeah. just took off. And, um, and in the course of that, you know, the little building that they had there in Costa Mesa was no longer, um, adequate. And so you'll hear Calvary people talk about the tent. Uh, John actually made the comment earlier, said, Hey, explain the tent a little, because for those that maybe on the outside, we don't know what that is. Anyone within Calvary chapel remembers the tent or will talk about the tent or have recollections of the tent. Because in the middle of all of this, when the church building didn't, couldn't hold anyone, and they had bought this piece of property. They put up a big tent as they were renovating and trying to build a, a larger build building. A right. They did church in a tent, which you can pull off in Southern California because the weather cooperates. Not not Georgia or Montana, not good places to try to do church in a tent. Yeah. Um, but uh, in Southern California, they, they, it could work. And, um, and then in the course of that, um, you had all kinds of... Of um, and, and this was something that was unique with Pastor Chuck, is that he wanted to allow. He he put no restrictions on how you came, no. so it, we, we got away from church attire. Come as you are. So the hippies felt welcomed. You know, there's a famous scene uh, in, in a story where you know the 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 group of former elders of Calvary Chapel were getting all bent out of shape about these hippies and how dirty they were and they weren't wearing shoes. And they had just bought all this new carpet and they were destroying the carpet. And, and Chuck was like, you guys, are your priorities are totally backwards. And so what did Chuck do? He set up a uh, set up out in front of the building and washed feet, you know, as people started coming in. So, you know, you get, you get these stories. Um, but in the course of that, the other thing that Chuck did that was unique, in addition to like, hey, just come as you are, um, is that um, he allowed, um, again, the hippies to worship God with a, a, a more modern flair to incorporate their own worship uh, music mm-hmm. um, into, into their expression up until that point, it's all hymnals. 
mostly a cappella accompanied by organ or piano, um, but to allow an acoustic guitar, a band. Um, and so with the tent, with this the Jesus movement, you really had the birth of of not just modern Christian worship music, but just Christian music in general. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this is why you're kind of here is not only were you there just for the tent experience, mm. yeah. um, but you, you ended up finding yourself kind of part of yeah. this real radical new expression that we call Christian music today, but you, you ended up being part of a few different bands, probably most famously Daniel Amos. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, what I want to do is, is, and again, setting the context kind of more of the historical scene right. here. <clears throat> I want you to start by just talking about, before we get to the music and the bands and all of that, mm-hmm. just your own conversion experience and then just what it was like uh, to be there, um, how unique it was, what the feeling was. Just Again, you're an eyewitness to this. Um, something that is historical. Um, again, we're making movies about it. There are magazine yeah. articles being written right. about it. You were there. So just talk. And, and again, I want you to personalize it as much as you can, just your own experience. Okay. But just talk about just what God was doing. Well, like I mentioned, I wasn't very church, so I didn't know much about the Bible. Uh, I, you know, But uh, I was going to these things, and these uh, mainly the Saturday night. I hadn't gone to a church service. But the Saturday night, they always had a, a concert, and there would be these. So music was a very big part of my conversion. And uh, I made that decision, like I said, I, I'm not sure if it was Mike or it could have been Tom Stipe. It wasn't Greg, because Greg came along a little later. But um, I made that decision, and it, you see, I, I <laughs> it's, it it wasn't that big a deal to me as far as what was the, the scope of what was going on. We didn't know. We didn't know there's some big Jesus movement thing right. that was actually happening. We were just showing up and, uh, it was and, and worshiping the Lord. It and there personal. were people coming yeah. forward. And, uh, you know, it's, what is this, like a Billy Graham thing, the big tent, you know, like the tent revival? Is that what this kind of old-time gospel stuff? But it wasn't because it, uh, the way it was explained to me and the way the Bible was taught was very came down to our level and and we were always made feel felt very comfortable there was no like uh anybody judging us or you know i was kind of i was never really kind of a hippie i was kind of a clean cut athlete guy college guy um but i was accepted just as much as the other people and, and it was it when you when you um have a experience like that um, like we all have had an, some kind of an experience accepting God. And it took a while. There was at first like, wow, this is great. And then it took a little while because you needed to, I needed to get fed more. You know, I needed Bible study. And I didn't even know what that really meant. I wasn't really a very good student. <laughs> right. So uh, did that mean I've got to like take notes on I'm going to have a test or, or <laughs> you know. You know I, so I was. it was a little rough to go at first but uh like i said the music brought me in i remember going to see love song which is mentioned quite a bit in in that movie and uh not only that in books uh great incredibly talented group there's of guys. a documentary actually coming out this year right uh similar to like the jesus revolution movie but just documenting yeah 
love and, song because uh, they were they were pioneers. Well, Chuck Gerard, who was kind of one of the lead singers and songwriters, was in the Hondells, and so he had a secular uh, background. So did Jay Truax, the the bass player, and uh, John Mailer, the drummer. I'm not sure what his background was, but Bob Wall, they, they were an incredible, talented group. And I remember sitting out there and saying, oh, "Wow, that is you know, I play drums with man. This is." John Mailer just did this incredible drum solo. And all the groups, you know, back then, Children of the Day, Hosanna, uh, The Way, uh, just countless groups were all of a sudden were popping up. And they were, like, debuting on Saturday night at Calvary Chapel. So as fast as people were getting saved, this music thing started happening, getting really big. And... um, there was a, a little office which ended up being the uh, Calvary Chapel store. It was uh, it was where Maranatha mo- music was born, and I believe that Mike McIntosh was kind of in charge of it at first. And uh, so they put up a bulletin board in there. Anybody looking for a musician for a group to get together, you know? And and I had given thought to it until I heard Love Song. <laughs> I go, those, I've got no talent as far as that goes, but. Uh, uh, my wife at the time talked me into going down and put my name on it, and lo and behold, I got a call from uh, Bill Sprouse and Jim Frank. Uh, Jim Jim Frank's up there in Nashville. He might be listening in. Uh, asked me to come down and you know hang out. We have like a, a Bible study and a potluck, you know, and uh, we jam. And and at the time, I was working at the Wind Ambulance. Uh, you know, it's a I started out as a, a an attendant. They didn't have paramedics back then, and uh, I couldn't handle the accidents and stuff like that. So they gave me a job <laughs> in, the, in the sick room supply store. So I was doing that job, and then they go, they go, you want to play in the group? And I said, yeah. Uh, well, it's a full time ministry. And I said, ministry, full time? Well, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm a new Christian. I, you know, what if you want me to preach or something? <laughs> Right. No, just play drums, you know, and we'll just write songs and, you know, we'll, we play at high schools and. So what band, what what band was this? This group was actually, it was called Sanctified, but later they changed it to Road Home because Bill Sprouse, the, the singer and songwriter was uh, on ABC Dunhill and, and the the group was uh, the Road Home. So I think we have an actual photo of this. Creighton, if you could put this up. Um, so, so this, explain, explain what we're looking at here. That, uh, is, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure about this. Jerry Chamberlain, uh, is a DA, uh, member might remember, but I think we were one of the first groups at the time to play when the chapel was built. So this is Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. This yeah. is the new sanctuary that they built. That's right. And which um, the shag carpet is epic. Shag carpet, yeah, <laughs> yeah which is awesome. <laughs> and uh, and so you're you're the drummer. You're yeah. in the middle, and then kind of work us through the band. Maybe that's, going right from the keyboards, working to the that's, left. That's Bill Sprouse over there on the Fender Rhodes, and then that's Phil Alardo on acoustic guitar, and then myself, and then John Falcone, good friend of mine, good brother, who's an all white. Yeah, he's, he's the bass player playing that Rickenbacker. Yeah, it's a classic bass guitar. And then that's John Whitehawk, uh, who played lead guitar for us. And um, So about what year is this? That's probably 73. Because we uh, rode home and been together about two years before We're Bill, before Bill uh, passed away, the songwriter. And we were playing all over 
they had something called <laughs> they had something called the circuit tour, and the, uh, these are new Calvary chapels that are sprouting up that all, are popping up all, all along the yeah. west coast, and so they uh, we they'd put us in one of Chuck's uh, Chuck had a couple motorhomes and we'd we'd go up the coast and you know as far as Eureka. And back down. Some of those pastors are still. I, you know who Wayne Taylor is? Yeah, I know Seattle. Yeah, yeah, he is one. One had one of the first uh, churches up there, and the groups would go up, and we would play. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that was that, that's what was happening with all those guys. You know, we were doing that quite a bit. And and one quick side story: yeah. we had played that concert, and the next morning after the the eleven o'clock service at Calvary with Chuck. That was always the musicians, the last, the latest one, because we were always playing music somewhere. So right. on Sunday, we'd go to the... Well, we're standing outside the Maranatha Music uh, office, just chatting, and I look over my shoulder over to the building, and it was, you know, there was still some construction going on, but it was it was working. And around the corner comes uh, Pastor Romain. Who was know. Pastor Chuck's right-hand man. Yeah, yeah kind of a military Oh, no, he guy. was... Uh, Pastor Chuck, they always said, was was grace because Pastor Romain was the law. That's right. Yeah. So uh, he came around the corner, and he's kind of looking down, and he stopped, and he looked over, and he saw us. And then he looked it down again, and then he started walking towards us. Oh, what did we do last night? Uh-oh. <laughs> what did we say? We're in trouble. And he came up to us and, you know, said, hey, hey, boys, how you doing? Oh, good. I just wanted to tell you, I was really blessed last night. Keep it up. And then he turned and walked and he away. Turned and walked away. Right. Yeah. That was, you know, <laughs> quintessential Romaine for sure. But, uh, yeah, that was a real magical time. Yeah, uh, as you were saying, yeah, there was a real spiritual awakening going on, especially going into that new church. Uh, there were groups just popping up all over the place. Daniel Amos was one of them. So and, they, and they came to here, rode home all the time. We were, we were there. Favorite group. <laughs> so let's uh, let's kind of transition to Daniel Amos a little bit. So the, the Christian music scene there, right with the Jesus movement and this awakening, and um, again, you know, this revival was was based in, in the teaching of God's word, this yeah. simply teaching God's word, simply um, expositional Bible teaching. But then there was uh, the people that were getting moved had had an avenue of of expression, expressing their love for the Lord and through worship and, and, and allowing their, you know, their musical abilities to, to, to be a blessing. And, and again, like you're saying, you've got all these bands and they're touring up and down, going to all these different churches. And you were part of one of those early bands. Did you ever play in the tent? So we saw a picture yes. of, with of road home. We played in it. Okay. So we saw a picture of you guys, of you guys playing in the new sanctuary, mm-hmm. but you played in the tent. Yeah. So if you see, if you see the Jesus revolution movie, and there's several scenes where you have Lonnie Frisbee and, and you got Love Song primarily featured mm-hmm. playing in the tent. Yeah. Ed McTaggart was there. Ed Ed yeah. played drums sure. in the tent, which is which is <laughs> which is great. Yeah. So you're you're playing with one group. Um you, you you always joke around is that like um a professional drummer has a profession that isn't drumming. Um, well, that you yeah. had to make a living somewhere else. Yeah. So you were playing, but you were also you you ended up working actually for Maranatha, right? Uh, yeah, I was, I was just telling John earlier. I guess this, yeah, I had to have a job. <laughs> you had to have a job, and I had some kids, and, and you know I got to take care of that. You know, so I was trying to balance that. But it started out um, working in the Maranatha Music Warehouse, packing up CDs and and, and Chuck Smith's tapes and shipping them out, and then from there, I'll just make you know kind of quickly here. When it uh, they, they had a position open in music publishing, 
And I was fascinated with that, with the band, because I, I wanted to understand more about the business side of things and how that works. And so I, I worked uh, oh, a couple years there, I think, or, or at, least, at least a year and a half, and uh, learned quite a bit. But uh, my typing skills weren't quite like... Um, they needed <laughs> so my friend alex mcdougall who uh was uh later joined daniel amos for a couple albums uh percussionist and drummer he was uh, working for maranatha music doing their artwork for their covers and i remember he you know I, Al, i'm kind of looking for some extra work do you got anything and he said yeah take take these uh record la- here's some type here, and take these this template and go home and paste up some record labels for me you know cut and, <laughs> cut and paste you know so yeah. the songs and the literally cut and paste yeah yeah and so that kind of got me into uh the graphic end of things and later on in our history uh i uh, i was started doing album covers and then i worked for jimmy kempner who's another evangelist from calvary back in that day uh he started up a, a company called frontline records which was a lot of the, a lot of the uh, bands that came over from Calvary. Well, what happened? There was a, back up just a second. Calvary got to a point to where they they couldn't support or didn't want to support all the the, the rock groups. Yeah. And they moved all towards the praise albums, worship albums. Uh, That's what Maranatha made a, a pivot to that. Right. Yeah, they right. made a pivot and they they got gave us all you know, free to go wherever you want, and. Uh, Again, I, um, I, I worked, so just as far as the working thing goes, I worked at Frontline Music Group for eight years, probably designed 300 album covers. So how did you end uh, up with Daniel? Daniel Amos was a band already yeah. formed. You had been playing in another band. How did you How did you land with Dan, Daniel Amos? Well, uh, Bill Sprouse, the, the singer-songwriter for The Road Home, a uh, real big guy, uh, passed away suddenly from a massive heart attack. Uh, that was a sad day for all of us. I'm sure. Because we were, we were uh, two weeks away from doing our own album. We had had two uh, songs on the collection albums, Maranatha Music uh, 3 and 4, I think. We had a, one song on each one. That was kind of like how you, you got yeah, into re- it. Yeah, real quick, let me explain this to the young, the young kids. Because <laughs> I remember this. Creighton, you even had this. So, like, the easiest example for anyone that's, that's under 40 is that you remember the WOW albums? Justin, you remember the WOW albums? Yes. So you would ha- you would have explain explain to the audience what the Wow album was, Justin. Basically, Wow, uh, and my er- one of my the earliest CDs I ever got was Wow 2000. Is basically a collection of the most popular songs in Christian music of the time, and then one of my favorite things from those albums was like they put in a couple up and coming bands. So right, Wow yeah. 2000, Switchfoot. Oh, that's nice. how you would discover Solid. Switchfoot. There yep. you go. New way to be human. Wow, two thousand. I remember that clearly. Getting it for Christmas. So you would that's you would have thing. you would have a compilation album yep. that that featured a bunch of different bands. So instead of going out and like blindly exploring the record shelves or the CD CDs, you could you could get one album and then oh man, I really like that band. Um, and then you could go and explore and learn a little bit more about them. So that was kind of an old school way of doing it. Now, now that that's obsolete because everything's streamed and you've got basically singles released. It's a, the the music industry is different. But just for the young changed. crew, completely changed. It's completely changed. But back so yeah. So, so you we, guys had had a few songs, but you yeah. were working on an album, and, and, and then your buddy died. And so, and so did uh, Daniel Amos had one song on one of those records. So concurrently, we had been a group for a couple of years, but they were just getting started. 
Uh, but Bill died suddenly, and we were, like I said, two weeks away from doing our own record. You know, and that, that was kind of like how it happened. You know, you get on a Maranatha album, and if things go well, you might get it. They might finance your... So right. anyhow, uh, Daniel Amos was uh, playing at one of these big uh, concerts. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure it was Nosbury Farm. They, um, I think it's Jimmy Kempner was sponsoring these things, and uh, he, he'd get a collection of artists... Not necessarily all ca- uh, Calvary artists, but uh, John Gibson, uh, the different artists from across the country that were popping up, like you were saying earlier. And um, they'd have a night, you know, like maybe New Year's Eve night, and it would be all Christian bands all over the park. Well, since I was not employed uh, within a band at the time, I was looking for extra things, and I think it was uh, I think it was Jeff Smith, um, Chuck's younger son. Yeah, one of Chuck's sons. Yeah, Chuck Smith's son. And you he, were working with him at Maranatha, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. He said, hey, you guys, you and John, you know, the bass player for Road Home, they could use some help roading the equipment in and out, out at the Disney. We can give you a couple hundred bucks. And so, yeah, yeah. Right. I'll hump some boxes for that. So uh, uh, I was assigned to uh, the venue that had Daniel Amos and, and a group called Laslin, a young group. And so loaning stuff, and they... The drummer had <laughs> this monster drum set. I don't know. Were, this is like, you know, late 70s, early 80s. The monster drum set, the stuff was popular, I guess. And so uh, Terry Taylor, who's the songwriter and singer primarily with uh, Daniel Amos, uh, came up and asked me, hey, you want to sit in? How'd you know I played drums? Oh, you're Road Home. That's our favorite band. <laughs> we come see you guys all the time. We love Bill. We're really sorry what happened, but why don't you sit in tonight? So, well, I don't know the songs. You know, well, it's okay. Just, just, just follow along. Yeah. So uh, that's how I got in the group. They called me the next uh, Monday after that and asked me to, you know, to be in the group. And so I've been in that band ever since, since so, 1976. So technically, they didn't have a drummer per se. They they, no. they were it was more of a hired gun. They had recorded an album without right. a drummer, studio guys. So they were looking for someone. Well, they needed a drummer to go and play those songs at right. the high schools and colleges and stuff. But you ended up becoming more of a permanent option, and that's that's how it all started. Yeah. And now you know. All so these you've years been later, with them, You've been with Daniel Amos for how many years? Well, since '76, and still we're still officially not. We lost our bass player, passed away two years ago, but we haven't like given up i mean still re- we recorded another record after 2011 it came out in 2014 called dig here says the angel uh and uh that was our last full-on recorded album and terry has had a series of solo albums and that uh all of us in one way or another participated and all and then a spin-off groups called swirling eddies uh <laughs> there's got to be Terry is such a prolific writer. Well, let's There's let's just be... just for some context, Creighton, let's throw some pictures up, and uh, and Ed, I want you to kind of explain what we're seeing. So I, I'm fascinated by by this image for two reasons. So it says uh, Christian musicians. Uh, was it angry young men? What, what, explain what this this magazine. Oh, geez. Yeah, I don't have any idea what they meant by that. We weren't angry about anything. <laughs> so it's <was> like, <laughs> what is that? Well, uh, it, our our music from if you were to listen to our albums from one to the next, you wouldn't recognize who we were because we it, it we were kind of like I like Terry likes to explain it as an experimental kind of group. 
So every time we went in the studio, they would be it would be a stretch doing something different, maybe more related closely to the culture that was around us, uh, secular music. Right. Uh, so you you can hear influences of Beatles and Beach Boys, uh, Talking Heads, David Bowie. Uh, throughout our whole history, I mean, there's probably of actual Daniel Amos albums, including live albums. I don't know, twenty five or thirty records. It's a pretty big catalog for now. You guys, around. and correct me if I'm wrong here. So there, there was, but there that, was this, this one's the, the specifically about this though. This is that's the uh, a group picture of us for the cover of uh, yeah. Keep that up, Craig. Darn floor, not darn floor, big bite. Uh, horrendous disc was the name of the the album, and Larry Norman had purchased our contract for Maranatha Music, and so we we'd already recorded Chuck and Angel was, did really well. So we started the new record with Maranatha Music, and during the middle of that's when things separated, and we ended up being on Larry's la- label, and uh, the album didn't come out for four years. You used to wear the white gloves every now and then? So that was going to be my question, yeah. is oh, what's okay. with the white <laughs> gloves? That was Al's idea. Big, big <laughs> Al McDougal, there's, uh, he's the second from the right, and he's uh, had a, a long career in Christian music industries in Nashville. He's producer, songwriter. And he was like, you uh, need to be wearing white gloves. I don't know. It's just, we're, we're kids, you know, <laughs> we're the skinny, skinny tie thing, you know, and the, I don't know, whatever, trying to be cool. But, uh, uh, it was a difficult time for us because that, that record was delayed by, uh, by Larry for whatever reason. And then we lost half of the guys you're seeing there. It was just, uh, it was me and, and, uh, Jerry and Terry and, Marty, four of us went on, and we got a deal with Benson Company, and that's when the Alarma album came out. And the Alarma album was a complete different uh, sound from Horrendous Disc, which was just more of a classic kind of rock opera stuff. Well, Alarma was like Talking Heads, you know, it's like that whole '80s, early '80s thing, loud and raw. So, so then we totally confused our audience, you know. So as we went along, we, our music changed, and we lost fans and gained some. That sounds like the that sounds like the perfect album for me. I'm gonna add it to my playlist. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're gonna. I got a few follow up questions to all that. Sure. Let's run through a, a couple more photos. Okay. Um, you guys have a, a bit of an obsession with cowboy hats oh. um, and a country feel. Um, so this is this is an early. Uh, so you're still Maranatha music. Obviously, you can yeah. see the... that's Daniel Amos. That's probably 1976. That's so, in South Bend, uh, Indiana. Public parks, you can tell. So that's early as far as you joining the band. Right. We're doing the, the songs that are on the, on the first album. On the first album. Yeah. So obviously, you're on drums, but but tell us who these people are from, from right to left. Uh, Jerry Chamberlain, uh, great guitar player, good brother. He's, he's living up in Nashville now. And then Terry Taylor uh, with the cowboy hat on. He's the singer-songwriter for the band and myself. And then Steve Baxter, uh, who was an original Daniel Amos guy that came down. Terry was originally in San Jose, Los Gatos. And okay. they, the two of those guys came down and eventually got involved in Maranatha music. And uh, and then Marty Deckmeyer over there on the left, on the, he's, he's the surfer of the band. Uh, on bass. And he stayed with you guys. He's the guy that, that recently passed away a couple of years ago? No. Uh, so there uh, was another bass player. That, yeah, that Tim Chandler took took uh, Marty's place. Okay. Marty, after the Alarma album, Marty left, and then Tim Chandler was with us. And Greg Flesh was our 
guitar player. How a come you great never, name for a guitar player, Greg yes. Flesh. How come you never you know, had a mustache like the other guys? Uh, every time I try to grow a beard, <laughs> I look homeless. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a good question, Spice Daddy. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But so our, let's throw up an, another photo here, Creighton. Uh, so I, I love this photo. So you're the guy in, <laughs> hanging out of the truck. Yeah, I don't know what the idea what the truck was, but uh, and then the, <laughs> the, the start because this was a uh, the Shock and Angel album. So the first half of the album, the second album, was uh, primarily kind of a country rock thing, still mirroring the first album. The second side was completely different. Yeah, I real was gonna, bell bottoms. I was going right to say something. Yeah. Those bell bottoms are wide. Uh, yeah. A corduroy. Yeah. What are you going to do? So another, we got a, a couple more, I think, right, Cray? Yeah. yeah, we got the one from recently. Oh, so this is, this is explain, this was the last time you guys right. played together, the last well, tour. The 2011, um, from right to left, Greg Flesh, who I mentioned, our guitar player, he's also uh, a rocket scientist. He works for JPL. His team, <laughs> his team uh, is analyzing the Mars rocks and sand right now. Wow. Uh, and then uh, our bass player, Paul Averett from Dallas, Texas, <laughs> incredibly talented young guy. He, like, we, we had to replace our bass player because he passed on. Right. And so, he, you know, he, he walked in, he knew all our songs. He just, it, we didn't, he didn't have to. Didn't skip a beat. Didn't have a chart, didn't have nothing, anything. He just, so he uh, did that tour with us. I'm back there with my cream shirt on. And then Terry Taylor. Is that again. a cream? Cream shirt? Yeah. All right. And then uh, Terry Taylor, uh, singer-songwriter, and Jerry Chamberlain, who had been with us all along. So he is Ginger Baker the greatest drummer of all time? Well, you got to put him into eras. Okay, so. Okay. Jazz, big band. Louis Belson. Louis Belson. Okay. That other guy that everybody hated. Uh, then uh, progressive jazz, Joe Morello. Who was a um, Dave Brubeck Quartet? Okay, and then uh, Radical Rock, I guess you'd have to go with Keith Moon and, and Ginger Baker. Ginger Baker probably much more talented, definitely Ginger Baker. And then for pop rock, Ringo. <laughs> Could you not love that guy? He just showed. He was. I. I I'm kind of like Ringo a little bit. With Keep, the, yeah, I just per, show up and they time. tell me what to play. You know, kept I, perfect time. I was a uh, steady Eddie. That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So we got one more, one more right. Yeah. I love this photo. This it's, one's it's, the cowboy hat. Yeah, it's all cowboy hats and Ed with no shirt on. And there's a funny back. There's a funny story to this to True this photo. Story. Yeah, that's so, uh, at New Mexico State. I think it's a. I think it was a state. I don't think it was a federal prison. It's kind of halfway between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. State prison, and it's real hot. Obviously. Yeah, it was there in the summer. Yeah. And uh, this was, they put us out in the yard, and then they lined up all the inmates. Uh, had, there was a fence between us, a s small fence. They all lined up out there, and we were going to give them a concert. And they gave them a half a cantaloupe and a scoop of ice cream in it, and they were enjoyed it. And they really received us very well. We were able to preach a little bit. But there was no altar call or anything. But And then uh, two weeks later, after we had uh, got back home from that particular tour, there was a huge riot at that prison where guards were killed and inmates were killed. They were holding <laughs> hostages. And, and we, we think, well, maybe uh, we have a career going around causing trouble everywhere we go. <laughs> that could be the angry young man. What know. did, um, where did the name Daniel Amos come from? Well, uh, early on back then, all the good names were taken. Children of the Day, uh, Hosanna, uh, 
love song. Uh, oh, uh, all these uh, you know cool names for Christian bands. You know, they were all there. So I thought, well, all the good ones are gone. What do we do? And it's, it was probably Terry and Jerry that came up with it. But they, well, just two Old Testament Bible prophets. Let's we'll <laughs> put them together, like Leonard Skinner or like. Jethro Tull, you know. Daniel Amos. Don't want to know who Daniel Amos. So, yeah, who's Daniel Amos? Or, you know, are you Daniel and you're Amos? So, that's, uh, it was simple as that, you know. That stuck. And later on, they just, everybody shortened it up for just DA. So, we were known as DA for quite a bit, too. And back and forth. So, let, I'd like you to talk a little bit <clears throat> because I, th- I think, I think there's something that's happened recently in Christian music. Um, that happened to you? It, 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 obviously, things go in cycles. It's weird. Um, I have found it odd as of late. So, and Justin, you can speak to this as well. So, when I was in high school, middle school, high school, my, my first my first cassette tape was "New Thing" by DC Talk, and then and then I got uh, "Jesus Freak" was my first CD. Um, I got an early Jars of Clay album. Was it Flood? It, it was the whatever the one was that had Flood on it. Yep. Yeah. Liquid, I think, was Liquid, one of the yeah, other yeah. songs. Um, and then, and then I, you know, and then you know that introduced me to Christian music, and so I was a big DC Talk fan. But I, I then started following Pray for Rain, Small Town Poets. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just, I went through a gamut um, of Christian music of just. Good bands writing uplifting lyrics. This was not worship music. It was just, it was what we would call Christian music, and yeah. we'll get there. Um, and um, I mean, and and then even then, like I like there was a huge like Christian rap scene, you know, Christian hip hop from. Uh, so like our our intro track is Mar- Mars Ill. You had uh, Ambassadors for Christ. You had uh, John Rubin. Uh, you T-bone. can run down like say what T Bone. Yeah, you had one all, of my favorites. You had all kinds of like um, Christians that were doing music that was uplifting and, and Christian oriented. Soon to be Fifty Cent, right? You're <laughs> right. bringing oh, in. Man. That's where you decided to jump in. <laughs> I'm just, well. I'm. That's the most important. Chances that, are not zero. For, chances <laughs> are not zero. You, you, when that's we get true. to the end, you're gonna. Someone's gonna have to explain that. Um, so, but but what's what's crazy? Um, and I'm gonna set Christian rap music aside because it's it's kind of the it's an outlier at the moment and maybe Toby Mac is an outlier, but the entire Christian music scene doesn't exist like it did when, when I was growing MXPX. Um, I mean, you, you had, you had, uh, even, even when there was like that, that whole secular craze of ska, you had supertones, you had five iron frenzy, you had all kinds of Christian bands that would come out. Um, and, and it was, and it was big and, and we had festivals like you had, um, for us, it was Atlanta Fest. You had it was it was at Stone Mountain Park for years, and then they moved it uh, to Six Flags over Georgia. But you would have all these bands, and that's how you got introduced to stuff. You bought CDs. Um, there was a whole Christian music scene mm-hmm. um, today, and 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 I, I kind of left it all for a while just because it was it was not a real relevant thing. But I've got I've got a middle schooler, you know, and so he's getting into music, and so I'm like revisiting all of this, and there's nothing. Like Toby Mac is 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 kind of the outlier, I would say, in regards to doing like he's not doing worship music, he's just doing Christian music, and then you got you got a ton of rap, you know, from 
yeah. uh, Lecrae to an F to you just can run. I, I think you also have to, and, and this is kind of an outlier. The the metal Christian metal scene is is still very active. When I was at the Frontline Music Group, I was telling John I, I was a creative director there for eight or nine years, and we went through all those metal bands. We had a lot of metal bands and a lot of rap bands, so that would have been like in uh, late eighties, early early nineties. Well, that's that was that was our time. Yeah. Um, but like today, to, today you listen. Uh, great example. You you turn on uh, the Christian radio, and all you're gonna get, all that's there, yeah, is worship music. It's all worship music to to even the point that like, like a guy like Stephen Curtis Chapman, who is a fantastic songwriter, musician in his own right. Um, there's no place for him. So what has he had to do? He's now coming out with worship albums. Michael W. Smith, it's it's worship albums. Like they're like the 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 Christian music scene. You turn on the radio, it's just it's just wall to wall worship music. You know, you're saying worship albums versus what? I'm saying like so that so um um and John who is 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 in studio wants me to differentiate between a Christian album and like a worship album. Um a worship album, I'll, I'll, I'll very narrowly define as songs written for corporate worship. Like they're songs that are written for um, to be mornings. played on Sunday mornings Praise because the because they sell and there's mass marketing. These are the Chris Tomlin's Passion, um, um, Bethel, Hillsong, uh, Phil Wickham. Just Lauren Daigle. Lauren, Lauren Daigle even. Um, although she, she can somewhat cross over just a little bit, but, but primarily that's what she's... She's she's doing because this is what these are the clicks. This is what sells. This is what then, and then you have the contracts where you're playing these songs in church and they're getting cut for it. And then, and so like worship music songs that can be sung in the worship setting at church, um, that is that that now dominates mm-hmm. a, a, the larger umbrella of Christian music. You know, it's, it's, the only other things are Christian rap, etc. Back in the day. When 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 all these things like first manifested, like when when Christian music first manifested, when when you go back to love song, there was it was pretty worship oriented. I would say initially, uh, I would say it it was really different. Uh, uh, worship music for us back then was choruses. You'd come out and sing a chorus. And they would, uh, almost all the solo artists had their own chord. Karen Lafferty, seek your first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And these things will be added on to Hallelujah, hallelujah. Over and over and over again. And Chuck would come out and lead choruses before his Bible studies on the midweek. He'd so, close his service the same way. May the Lord yeah, bless so, thee. So that, that, was what, the... that was what worship music was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now uh, I remember. Uh, well, I'm so so far out of it for a long time. Coming well, let back me out let here, me we, let, we, let me just take a second and 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 present totally a different. very particular question for okay. you, because you described this this transition that happened in Maranatha music, mm-hmm. where Calvary Chapel made a decision to make Maranatha music more worship oriented exactly. and all of the other bands that existed, Daniel Amos included that weren't exactly worship bands, but were Christian bands. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, Hey, we're not going to hold you captive, but this is not the direction we're going anymore. And we're going to kind of cut you loose, which exactly. is why that one album got tied up for years. Right. 
that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. So explain explain that because I do think we're seeing the same thing happen now. You see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, that was is kind of a unique situation. He uh, Larry signed us. You know, I want to get too deep into the, some of the personal things. No, there. no, you don't have to but at Larry, all. Larry uh, coerced us into signing with him, and uh, and then he had to go back in and change some song. He wanted to change some of the songs, drop a song, change because it was essentially the done record. Just needed some final mixes done. Changed it, and uh, we were out on the road supporting that record. That has hasn't come out yet. We're out there playing songs on horrendous disc, and people have never heard. So they're you know what is this? What happened to the Daniel Amos that was on the first album? So there was like a, a crossover that wasn't connecting with the people, you know, as far as us playing in colleges and churches. It, at that era, we were probably playing more clubs and in, in, in colleges than churches. You would not have defined Daniel Amos as a worship band. No. Although there's some really cool worship songs, and I'd mm-hmm. love to share some of them with you sometimes. So Absolutely, it's, uh, it's they're unique because of you know I don't want to get too off far off the track, but because of Terry's talent as a as a writer, well read, he's probably read all these books you have here, uh, and he's inspired by a lot of a uh, lot of those writers. Uh, Frederick Beekner, who I know Chad likes. Uh, there's a song that uh, horrendous, uh, scandalous night. Mm-hmm. Those are written by two friends of ours up in Nashville. Um, so there's that type of music kind of kind of took over as far as the industry went, and Maranatha definitely went to praise albums, praise albums and children's albums. And to this day, I you know, they probably still are involved in some of that, probably repackaging now as far as, as, far as doing new stuff. I don't really know that Maranatha's I, even, I no a, idea. even a yeah. company anymore, but... But yeah, it was, and that album, uh, Larry decided to hold on to until he could mess with it. And we're we're out recording, I mean, not recording, playing all these shows with those songs and no product to deliver to them. And so this was, it was almost two years. And, you know, you can't survive unless you have. So we... Uh, Got a lawyer and got out of that. And had to, had to work. work and then recorded out. the our Alarma album. Uh, and then within one week of the release of the Alarma album, Horrendous Disc came out. So <laughs> killed both killed both of them. Because we, we split our audience, you know. Yeah, this is this 80s sound. This is cool. This is like talking heads, you know. It's like the Ramones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of a cross between. So it was that kind of record. And then there's Horrendous Disc that's all melodic. And, and, and studio produce. So that changed the direction of our group and for the rest. Uh, and and the, in my opinion, the best albums came after that. What's the best Daniel Amos album? Like if, if there's somebody that's watching this right now and they've never heard of Daniel Amos huh? before and they're going to go uh, to Spotify or YouTube music yeah. and they're going to, they're, they're going to find one album. What album would you tell them to listen to? Well, that's subjective, you know, obviously. No, nah, but, but uh, you're the drummer. The cri- critic's choice is probably uh, Darn Floor Big Bite. Say that again? Darn Floor Big Bite. That is, uh, you ever heard of Coco the Gorilla, who they taught sign language to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and, and uh, it was the, the theme of the record is, is, is built around that. They, had, they played a, uh, a video of the San Francisco earthquake back in the 40s or whatever that was. And she signed Darn Floor Bad Bite. 
In other words, she's describing what she's seeing. The floor is shaking, and it's a bad bite, you know. And, and Terry kind of thought about that as far as the theme goes. Isn't that what God probably thinks when, <laughs> he's, when we try to describe him? And so he took that and, and wrote the song about it. So I, it's a really good album. It's a very well produced. Uh, my favorite album, however, is not one of the more popular ones, but it's, it's called Bible Land. And um, it is a record that uh, was not rehearsed. It was just guitars, bass, drums, and vocals. And we went in and uh, recorded it. He, Terry would come up with an idea, or, or Tim, our bass player, would come up with a riff, or, you know, and similar to what uh, Isaac was, you guys were playing earlier. Yeah. You start with some chord structure, and you kind of, well, we did that for like two weeks in the studio, and it came up with this album. But the song uh, Stone Away With, I, I think I might have sent you lyrics to uh, at some point. My all-time favorite song is it's about the resurrection. And then there's a praise song that's on another record, which I want to share with you. Yeah. Uh, um, What's Come Over Me. And it's about God's omnipresence. And, but it's, it's written in a different way. I mean, I, I list, you know, I'm, I'm playing this Sunday. I was yeah. listening to all those songs. And there's something polished about all that. It's all polished, yes. It's different than what uh, we were doing or did or still doing, kind of. Well, explain, can you maybe try to articulate the difference between what worship was in the midst of the Jesus movement and, and what it what it is now? Well, I was going to say earlier, I mean, when we moved out here, uh, we started going to uh, Crosspoint, Dr. James Merritt. Yeah. And uh, the first time I got there, he you know, sat down and then this huge production of Worship songs. It was one of Phil Wickham's songs. Uh, it says Amazing Grace, whatever that's yeah. called. And it was just, oh, smoke and lights and... and production, a, production. Yeah, and great vocals, extremely talented musicians. Atlanta's loaded with talent. And I thought, well, well this is not what <laughs> I expected. <laughs> expected something similar to what, what Calvary 316, something more, you know, personal and kind of... Trimmed down, not with all the lights. And Less yeah. talented musicians. Oh, sorry, it was an easy joke. I saw it coming. I saw well, that. We, we are hey, getting we the smoke machine. Drummer, we have a professional drummer playing next Sunday. <laughs> no, with a cowboy it, hat with a cowboy hat, extremely and talented. shirtless. All you, uh, all of the. I mean, can we get smoke for Sunday? No, <laughs> but uh, um, saw the difference, night and day. In my opinion, like I said, a lot of worship music uh, early in the tent days and, and the the chapel were chorus songs. And, and uh, there's a little booklet, I think. Uh, um, and then there's another record called Psalms Alive, which is take uh, Billy Batstone. Um, mostly, I think most of the songs are his that he wrote. It's just taking psalms and putting music to them, you know, inspired in some ways maybe even what the David well yeah if they're coming from scripture they were definitely inspired inspired yeah. right but uh, uh so i don't uh, you know i'm comfortable with what's happening now it was just different that's it's all. just different and what did i know i you know my first bible was good news for modern man you know it was like <laughs> a paraphrased new testament you know that kind of got my you know how would you if you if if you had to define christian music like what is christian music how would you define that? 
Well, I, I don't think it's, uh, well, at least the good stuff anyhow. I don't think it's anything different than secular music. It's just the, the theme of what's happening, the talent, the songwriting, the melodies. I don't really, there is some difference, like when you know, yeah. I listen to the worship stuff, but when I listen to some of the, the bands that are just doing, uh, or artists, solo artists that are just doing uh, their songs creatively, I don't really see a whole lot of difference. Yeah, see, I've always said that, um, like, I, I just, Christian music, like, I reject the premise yeah. that, like, music can get saved. Like, that, that well, yeah. music is inherently Christian or not Christian. It's, 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 there is no such thing as Christian music. You lyrics. have Christians that do music. It's the lyrics, really. Yeah, but you have Christians that, that do music. That's it. Like, That's you can what have, we were. You That's can what have, we are. Right, you can have Christians that do an entire album with no words. <laughs> it's a Christian album because it's a Christian Christians that did the music. Yeah. It's a Christian that did the album. I, like, yeah, I can kind of dig that. I, you know. So you guys, in a, in a modern context for me, you know, I go back and I listen to Dan. Like, I, I think you guys were incredibly innovative. And in, um, obviously don't get any of the credit that I think you deserve because – whether you like your styles or not, you guys were innovative. You didn't fit into a box and you were Christians that played music and expressed ideas. Like, like you weren't, you weren't a worship band. You were Christians that were expressing things. You were learning and growing <clears throat> and it was, and it was super creative, very creative, everything. And the fact that you evolved all the time, I mean, it's you two ish in that sense. Like, you know, you, you do listen to some of your 80s albums. It's like Zeropa, you know, or, you know, or, you know, you go from Octune Baby to Zeropa and you're like, there's two different bands. Yeah, yeah. But like, there's that kind of an arc um, within Daniel Amos. Um, whereas like you two always, the edge always plays the same style for you guys. The, 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 um, it's you, the way that the songs are written, I think is, is the different. The, like I said, we try to kind of mirror the culture around us didn't do much for album sales. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I've ever made any. You know, the only money you know, wasn't much. It was playing live shows, you know. But uh, that wasn't why we were doing it. So why know? were you doing it? That was what God was giving us this gift. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm just just a drummer, but, you know, I'm playing. You know, I go to the studio, and, and uh, Terry's a brilliant songwriter. He comes up with these these riffs and stuff, and I said, "Well, what can I do to contribute?" So it was always like a contribute as a group. Mm. It was never like you know, like do this. Or uh, there was one song where Terry said, "Hey, Ed, come in here," and I said, "Okay," and I came in there. <laughs> right. You know, it was simple, like, but uh, a good fellowship and and uh, an expression of what God is doing in our personal lives and in our um, musical lives. Uh, just simple as that. Creighton, do we have any um, anything online? Any any comments? Uh, we anything? have one comment from yeah. uh, another longtime friend of the show, Jennifer. Um, she says that her favorite uh, of the Christian genres that you were talking about earlier is actually my least favorite, and that is Christafari. <laughs> oh my god! Um, I also hate Christmas, so it's not. That's surprising. also yeah, not. You surprising. know what? Very similar. You can't trust a man Granted, that does it. My favorite <laughs> of that genre is Christcore, which is like metalcore that's Christian, and I loved that growing up. That was my jam in high school. All right. So Isaac, do you have uh, do you have a question? Do you have any anything you want to ask? Well, 
the topic that John brought up about the difference between Christian music and worship music, uh, you know, I had a thought that, you know, Christian music, you can confuse the lyrics, you know, are they talking about God or their girlfriend kind of thing is one way I've heard it. Um, it's like if you, if you write a really poor love song, change a few pronouns and make it a worship song. Exactly, because they never mention who exactly they're talking about. It's like, who is Depends this? what you're listening to. Like, some of my favorite bands are still putting out albums, like P.O.D. and NMXPX. P.O.D.'s put out an album? Just putting out yes, a new they one. have. Yep. No way. Yep, still rocking it, man. And I, lo- I love I Here love comes the boys from the South. Right, and so they're, they're, a lot of their songs are really in your face, and then but they're like, a lot of people, like, they're Christian. And then mm-hmm. when you actually listen to the lyrics, you're like, there can be no other thing but that. And I like what you said, something like when you asked them, why, why did you do it? They, you know, God called you. And it reminded me of a quote from a movie. I, I was talking about that baseball movie I just, yeah. just watched. And uh, so the premise of the movie is this kid who has uh, back problems, essentially. Uh, he is in leg braces this is back in like the sixties or something like that. And his dad was like this Baptist preacher and he was like, you're not going to play baseball. You're only going to be doing work for the Lord and stuff like that. And he basically gave him an ultimatum. He was like, are you going to choose to play baseball or going to serve the Lord? And ultimately the kid came up and he's like, I choose both. Like <laughs> God's given me a talent. I'm going to use my talent and serve God in that. And, and I think that's a lot of what Christian music was I, you know, and I think it is to, still to a point here. Yeah. But you know, I I'm musically impaired, so I, I have zero <laughs> musical talent. But like, God gives you a talent to do something. Your obvious reaction and praise to that talent is to to use that to serve the Lord. Yeah, you want it to come back triple fold, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you want it to be. Yeah, we wanted to be of use. I think I think a lot of the things that we're seeing today, um, because because mo- money messes things up to a, to an extent, absolutely. And um, <laughs> you know, you you see, and this is one of the things. Like I, I'm not don't have a lot of insight or or et cetera into into anything particular, but I do know, and I've talked to people that um, there were especially even in our heyday, Justin, of Christian music, it, you had a bunch of bands that the, that, okay. So go to like EMI owned the Christian labels, you know, like you had a big mega company that owned subsidiary Christian labels. And like, they would have a band that they're like, well, th- th- this band's not going to have widespread commercial appeal, but you know what? Uh, we can put them in this niche market. And make some money out of it. And you had a lot of, a lot of quote, Christian bands. It was, I mean, they were watered down lyrics, but they, they weren't Christians. And, and I think that that, that really, um, distorted a lot of things. Yeah, you kind of see that Muddy in the waters. about Larry Norman and the Ragamuffin bands. I think it's called Ragamuffin. I have not seen that. Yeah, no. Larry not, Norman, not Rich, Mullins? Rich, Rich Mullins? Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins. Yeah. He, he, he kind of gets into that. And it's an interesting movie because, you know, Rich Mullins wrote a bunch of worship songs. Yes, he, he did. also wrote a bunch of Christian music. Yeah. Like, and so I think he's a good example of this debate we're having on. You know, my, my favorite Christian, my favorite Christian album of all time is um, Bob Dylan's Saved. 
You ever listened to it? Slow Train Coming? That's the second one. So oh. he had two albums, Saved. Yeah. Uh, I've been saved by the blood of the lamb. Yeah. And I'm so glad. I mean, it just, it just, um, you had two Bob Dylan albums that yeah. were just so lyrically sound. That was that weird season of Bob Dylan's life. Yeah. And we, I'd love to do that song Sunday. Uh, I need Sonia to figure out the piano part because that it's all driven by the piano. I'll play it when we're done. Uh, it's a wonderful song, but, um, and I really appreciate you joining us sure. and just kind of going down memory lane and sharing some well, of your own thoughts. The memory thing, you know, I, I remember things probably different than the rest of the guys, but, uh, I, I've been taking memory pills, but sometimes I forget to take them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of holes in the stories, but, uh, so you people people don't realize. I mean, you're you're not just a um, a professional drummer. Um, Does that mean you get paid for it? <laughs> right. Well, I, I guess whatever. Um, but you're you are um, a semi pro baseball player. I played a lot of baseball. I mean, you've won a World Series in amateur ball. Two, two. Excuse me. Two World Series. <laughs> get your facts straight. Okay. Two thousand five. And you were a pitcher, weren't you? Oh, I started out throwing mud, and I probably can still throw 50 miles an hour. But I, <laughs> but you got rotator cuff issues. Yeah, I, I ended up being whatever. I played whatever position was closest to the bench. <laughs> could be the bench, DH. And when was the last time you wore the cowboy hat? Almost every Sunday. When was the last time you wore I, cow, I the wear, cowboy hat? I Almost every, every Sunday. Oh. I wear it every day. <laughs> it's actually kind of surprising that you're not wearing it now. Uh, right. Uh. Well, yeah, yeah, it is a surprise. <laughs> well, yeah, doesn't look good on camera. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Neither does this. So. <laughs> oh my goodness! Hey, you yeah. got these. That oh, I got Luke These are these are forty years old. Nice. Keep redoing. That means you finally broke them in. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the sure. Outlaw Radio Show, fellas. Uh, thank you. Uh, real quick, John, you got any questions? Are you good? Yeah. All right, sweet. Anything left online? No, we're good. All right, man, I'm going to hit some music. Again, thank you so much for being with us tonight, the Outlaw Radio Show. Uh, what you've been watching, if you've been watching the live stream, will be released tomorrow as a podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you find uh, your podcasting. We still have problems with Spotify. We're working on that. We apologize Gosh, thanks, for Spotify. it. I know Spotify. Um, but we are working on some of those issues. If you're listening to this and you've never joined us live uh, Wednesday nights, um, at 8 o'clock, uh, we go live next week. little programming note. Next week, we will be having probably a special Tuesday edition because we have a church event happening that Wednesday night. Just a quick programming note. will be Tuesday night at 8 p.m. next week. May God bless you, and we'll see you guys next week. Next week.